Uh, I have the privilege of uh, bringing the word of the Lord to you this morning. And one of the beauties of, uh, of getting to, to preach every so often and not every week is you get to pick your, your own text. And so you get to pick sort of these home run kind of biblical texts. And that's what we have in front of us uh, this morning. And it's kind of fitting that we sing the, the last verse of that song about God's love. Um, because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, uh, is what we're going to be looking at. Now, since we are coming in, sort of at the, at the end of the book here, uh, I need to give you a little context. Uh, so, this letter is written to, to a church uh, that seems to be having some issues of people calling themselves Christians, but not really acting like Christians. And so John is sort of an elder statesman of this church. This letter is probably written much later on in his life. Um, he is coming to give the church encouragement, but to also give them wisdom in how to go about uh, the relationships that they have with these people uh, that are undercutting the gospel, as it were. And so that's kind of the context of what's going on in, in the book of 1 John as we come to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, verses 7 through 21, and uh, it's there in your bulletin for you, or you can uh, look at it in your copy of God's Word. And this is the Word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you would please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have manifested your love to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. We pray that you would open up your word for us today, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts this morning, and that you would show us where we need to grow and where we need to mature, and you would show us where we have been hurt and comfort us and give us peace from your word. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, I'm going to give you one guess what this passage is about. It's about love. Uh, the, the Apostle John uses the word love or some form of it 28 times in these 14 verses. In verse 8, we get one of the most well-known statements in all of Christianity. God is love. And even people who aren't Christians would make that claim. That God is love. There's this place right down the road on Union Street. And they sell hot wings. And the name of this place is TNT's Hot Wings. George and I had a wonderful conversation about that on New Year's Day. I love TNT's Hot Wings. They have just the right mix of buffalo sauce and spices. Uh, and, and the taste is just so good. I love TNT's Hot Wings. A little over a year ago, uh, Peyton Manning was coming back from what many possibly consider to be career-ending surgery on his neck. And in that process, the Indianapolis Colts, they had to kind of decide if they were going to go down the road of trying to keep Peyton Manning or let him go and, and, and start afresh. And through all of that and through the, the different press conferences and things that you saw, one thing kept coming up over and over and over from Peyton Manning out of his mouth was his love for the city of Indianapolis. Sometimes uh, in the middle of the night, I'll hear a little voice that's coming from the room beside me. And she's crying out and she's saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I'll get up and I'll rush in there to see what's wrong, what's happening. And she'll look at me and, and with just the, a little tinge of fear in her eyes, she'll look at me, but the first thing she'll say to me is, I love you, Daddy. We use the word love in so many different contexts in our culture. And sometimes I think we use it in such a way that it actually detracts from the meaning of the word love. How is it that we can use the word love to describe our feelings for so many different things? And what does it mean that God is love? Let me ask you this. What does it mean to you when the Bible says that God is love? Well, today we're going to try and answer uh, that question. The question of what does it mean that God is love? Then we're going to look at the ramifications of what that means. And the first point that I want to make is that God is love means that God shows us His love. God's love is always manifest into action. It always has something to do. It's never just there. He shows us His love. And we see that in verses 7 through 10. If you'll read back over with me, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And here's the key verse here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God manifests His love for us by sending us His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might live through Him. John does this throughout his letter. He gives uh, sort of an, an indicative, meaning, meaning there's something that is indicated here, something has happened, that is that God has shown us His love in Jesus Christ. And then he follows it up with, with an imperative. <clears throat> so that we might live through Him. Love always ends up in action. God has done that. And He expects us to do that as well. 
And it, in verse 10, uh, it's, it says, let, well, let's just kind of keep going there. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Those of you who are uh, about to take the SAT maybe, or eventually one day will, uh, propitiation is probably one of those kind of like $50 words uh, that, you, that you could think of there. But what does that mean? What does the word propitiation mean? Well, we get a little glimpse of this actually from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. In, in chapter 3, he talks about Christ being uh, a propitiation for our sin. And that word is actually derived from the Old Testament Hebrew word that means mercy seat. The mercy seat. Now, to give you a little bit of context about the mercy seat, see, the mercy seat was the place where the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he would come and he would bring a a spotless lamb, or you would come and bring your spotless lamb, and the high priest would take the lamb and he would slaughter the lamb, and he would sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 says about Jesus, he says Jesus is the mercy seat, and Jesus is also the spotless lamb. He is the one that is both the sacrifice and the one who is sacrificed too. He's both of those things. And that's what the Apostle John is saying here. So what that means is that Jesus not only takes away sin, but He gives us righteousness through His mercy. He is the one who takes away sin and He's the one who gives us His righteousness. That's what it means when it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Christ is our propitiation so that we might live through Him. Back to verse 9. But what does it mean to live, even? What does that mean? Well, I think to get a good idea of what life means and what living means, it actually helps us to go kind of through the biblical story a little bit. So, so bear with me uh, for a minute. Let's look back at the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 and see why we need to live again. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You see, God showed us His love in creation, in creating us, and He called us, He called us and everything else that He created, He called it good. He called those things good in Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve mess up, don't they? They, they mar this good creation that God has called into life through His very breath, with sin by disobeying and eating from the fruit of the tree that they were told not to eat from. And so, now we lose life. You see, originally we weren't created for death. We were created for life. But through sin, and through the sin of our first parents, death has entered into this world. And now before we get too haughty here, if it had been us in the place of Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. We would have done the same thing. And, and really, after that, things get really bad. They get so bad that God at one point says, you know what, I'm just going to wipe this all out. Everything that I've made, I'm just going to wipe it all out. 
But then in Genesis 7, he finds a man named Noah. He says, but Noah, no, wait, wait. Noah, Noah's, Noah's a man who's seeking after me. So I'll wipe everything out but Noah and his family. You see, God manifests his love to Noah by saving him. He manifests his love to his original creation by saving Noah as well too. And then a little bit later in Genesis 12, you'll probably hear this in every sermon that I preach, Genesis 12, back to Abraham again and Abraham's call. Abraham's call to be a blessing. God will bless him so that he will bless others. God shows his love to Abraham by calling him into covenant with himself. And then we get the book of Exodus where God's people have been in slavery and in bondage to the Egyptians and God manifests His love for them by bringing them out of that, by providing for them, by giving them the Ten Commandments, showing them how to live in light of the love that God has shown them. And the Israelites don't do the best job of really getting it. It doesn't really sink in all that well with them. Just as oftentimes, if we're honest, it doesn't really sink in all that well with us. And and there comes a point where the Israelites want a king. They want a king and they ask God for a king. And God had promised them a king, but they want a king like the nations. They don't necessarily want a king like God has in store for them. And so their first king turns out to be a pretty rough guy named Saul. But then in 2 Samuel 7, God calls David to be the king. And he makes a covenant with David. And he says this covenant, this covenant is going to be an everlasting covenant. All the while, God manifesting his love to his people so that they would live through him. And ultimately, again, they don't get it. And the people of Israel, they go into exile. They're kicked out of their land. They don't have a temple anymore. And then the prophet Jeremiah sort of comes on the scene. And in Jeremiah 31, God promises, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the one that I made with your fathers that they broke. Not that, not that those covenants were bad. They were good. But your fathers, they broke them. But I'm going to make a new covenant. And that new covenant comes in fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's not as though that God has just shown His love to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's shown it to His people from the time He created them. And it comes to ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God says, this is how I'm going to manifest my love to you. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to be the propitiation for your sins. He's going to wipe away your sins and he's going to give you his righteousness. And you will be my people. And I will be your God. You will be my children. And he gives us even further things, even beyond that. His word. His sacraments. The sacrament that we will partake of today, the body and blood of Jesus, that is God's love made manifest to us. We take it and it encourages us. It encourages us to live through Him. There's a group uh, called Mumford & Sons. Some of you may be pretty big fans of them. I, I am. 
And a couple of years ago, I went to see them in concert in St. Louis. It was just fantastic. And they had this one song that's called Sigh No More. And here's some of the lyrics to that song. Love that will not betray you, dismay, or enslave you, it will set you free. Be more like the man you were made to be. There is a design, an alignment to cry. At my heart you see the beauty of love as it was made to be. Now, I don't know the conditions of the hearts of these men that are in this group. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know if they're Christians or not. But it certainly seems to me that they have a pretty good idea of what love is and what it means that God is love. So, are you here today and unsure of whether or not you've experienced this love? The manifestation of God's love through Jesus Christ? If so, this is what the Apostle John has to say to you. There is a way for you to find true, untainted love. And that's through what God has done in Jesus Christ. You know, we, see, we so often try to find love in many different things. We try to find it in our possessions. I mean, just this past week, uh, Carrie and I have been looking at a house in Hampton Heights, and we've looked at that house and we said, I love that house. Maybe we try to find it in our human relationships with our spouses. Not that that's a bad thing. Love should be there. But the source of that love should be the love that God has shown you. We try to find it in food. Let's be honest. We're a country of excess. We try to find it in music, in our jobs. The Apostle John gives us the definition of what it means that God is love. It means that it is He, it, it is who He is. Not just something that He does. It is the essence of the being of God to be love. But it always manifests itself outwardly in His action. In what He has done. And the work that He has done in Jesus Christ is the ultimate way in which God has shown us His love. It's the overflow of His love. So, I would ask you, do you know this love? Is this something that you know? Have you received this love? If you believe that you have, what does that mean to you? What are you doing with it? Well, we move on through our text, and it kind of answers that last question there. You see, the second thing that we see is that God is love means that we who have received love, those who have received this love, we will be known by how we show love to others and to one another. And we see this uh, in verse, starting in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. If we love one another, then God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. What does it mean that God abides in us? When you hear that word, abide, what do you think about? It really means that God lives with us. And it's something that we can all relate to because everybody in here lives with somebody or at some point in time you've lived with somebody, be it a roommate, a spouse, brothers, sisters, whatever the case may be. 
I remember when Carrie and I first got married and, and we, we moved in together. This is when it just sort of really hit home for me because you find out about all of these little things and peccadilloes about, uh, about people when you live with them that you just don't know otherwise. Like, how do you put the cap back on the toothpaste? Do you squeeze the toothpaste all the way to the top or do you leave it down there at the bottom? Or how do you wash dishes? Do you just wash them when you're finished with them or do you wait till there's a pile there and then you wash them? Or how do you do your laundry? Do you put the liquid at the bottom of the machine and then put the clothes on top and run it? Or do you put the clothes in and then you put the liquid on top? Or maybe you use powder. Maybe you didn't use liquid at all. Maybe it's how you cook something. I mean, all these things sound very minuscule, right? But those are the things that we learn when we, when we live with one another, when you live with a person. And that's how intimately God knows us. He knows the way that we prefer to do our laundry. As trite as that may sound, He knows that. That is something that He knows about us. He knows us better than we even are willing to admit ourselves. Well, the second part of that we see is that God's love is perfected in us. He abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. There's a sense of completeness that's, that's happening here. The completeness of God's love is seen in how the church shows its love for one another. And for those who may not be Christians. That's where the completeness of God's love is seen. That's how God's love is perfected in us and how we love one another and how we love those outside of these doors. Does that feel like a heavy command? It should. Because it is. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, He said, love God and love your neighbor. All of, all of the other commandments, they fall under those two things. John is reiterating that here. Love God, love your neighbor. That actually goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy in Old Testament Israel. Love God, love your neighbor. Same thing, Genesis 12. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. It's interesting, you see, you see the, same, the same commandment and the same promise that God gives Abraham manifests itself in the church today. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm going to bless you by sending my son for you so that you'll live through him, so that you'll be a blessing to others. Yeah, it's a heavy command. It should be. You should feel the weight of that command. We should feel the weight of that command. That God's love is perfected in us and how we love one another. But God doesn't leave us to ourselves, does He? He gives us grace. He gives us grace that saves us from our sin. But God's grace is even more forward than that. It not only saves us from our sin, but it empowers us to love one another. And to love those who may not be so lovely in our lives. So, here's my question to you. Are we loving one another? 
Grace Presbyterian Church, are we loving one another? Is God abiding with us and is His love being perfected in us? Thinking from a corporate level, is that happening here? Trickle that down to an individual level. Is that happening with you? And the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis, the people that you work with, your neighbors, are you loving them? I know there are maybe many of you here um, who would say, you know, we've been a part of this church plant since it started. And we've sacrificed so much and we've put in so much work. Is God really calling us to sacrifice more? The Apostle John says, yeah, He is. He is calling you to sacrifice even more. Because... Jesus sacrificed His own life for us. The Christian life doesn't get retirement. We are to continually be putting ourselves out there for the work of the kingdom. But God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He gives us the grace to do these things. Now another point of application for the believer is this. Are we pursuing meaningful relationships with non-Christians outside of the walls of of this church? Are we doing that? Are we sharing Christ with our neighbors? When you go to the YMCA to work out, most people that I know that work out, they work out pretty much at the same time every day. And I'm sure you go in there and you see the same people every day. Do you give a thought about whether or not that person might know Christ or not? Do you do it at work? You see the same people every day. Do you give a thought to that? Maybe you're in school. The people that are in your classes, your friends, do you give a thought to that? Whether or not they know Christ? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a great deal of work to do in this area. So I'm not someone who's standing up here and telling you I got it all figured out and I'm doing it and I'm doing it the right way. No. I need a lot of work and a lot of God's grace in this area as well too. We're to be encouraged by that. And God does give us the grace. He does give us the grace. Well, the Apostle John, he continues to speak of God's love and it being perfected through His people in verses 13 through 21. And he, and he talks about how love conquers fear. But let's just take a look back at verses 13 through 21. And I'm just, I'm just going to read this straight through again and just sort of sit back and, and let, let the words wash over you a little bit. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. Abide, abide, abide. (laughs) Again and again and again. By this is love perfected again with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is so also we are in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love conquers fear. It casts out fear. I mentioned Lucy waking up in the middle of the night earlier. And though she's fearful, she's maybe had a bad dream, what's her first reaction? What's her first inclination? My daddy's love is going to conquer that fear. So I tell him, Daddy, I love you. My daddy's love is going to conquer that fear. The Lord says the same thing to us. What do you fear? You fear not having enough money to make it through the month? You fear not having a job? You fear death? Don't get me wrong. Because we're created to live, we fight death with every fiber of our being, and we should. But do we have hope in the midst of those things? Do you have hope that even though I don't see it, even though I, I don't see how financially we're going to make it through that month, do you have hope that God is going to provide for that? God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. We don't have to despair. We have hope in the midst of our fears. Several years ago, there was a, a documentary that was put out. It's called Waiting on Superman. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. But this documentary is about sort of the, the state of the, uh, of the public education system in America. Most notably in inner cities. Um, but uh, it's about the, the state of the public education system. And early on in the documentary, there, there's this guy whom they're interviewing. He's actually the guy that they get the title... Uh, of, of this documentary from Waiting on Superman. And he tells a story of growing up in, a, in, in an inner city, in a, in a ghetto. Growing up in a place where drugs and crime, prostitution, all kinds of other stuff is, is going on around him. And he loved comic books. And his favorite comic book character was Superman. And he recalled having a conversation with his mother at about age 8 or 9. And in this conversation, his mother divulged to him that Superman's not real. And he said he recalled, even being that young, just being so devastated and distraught. Because he thought, if Superman's not real, who is going to save us from this? Who is going to save us from this despair? Who's going to save us from all this crime and hurt and pain and suffering? If Superman's not real, who's going to save us? And his answer to the question, to that question, ended up being education. And so he worked really hard in school 
and he, he got into a really good university. And ultimately, he went on to Harvard. And, and, and what he wanted to do with his life, what he committed his life to, was the public, or is, the public education system. That is Superman to him now. And he's devoted everything that he has to that. His entire life. He's in his mid-50s now. He's been in the education system over 30 years. And even at the end of the documentary, he still said, I'm waiting on Superman to come. Are you waiting on Superman to come? And take you out of the destruction and the, the despair of this life? That destruction and despair doesn't have to be the inner city. It can be right where you are right now. It can be estranged family relationships. It can be not having a job. It can be many, many things. It can be having a hard time in school, wanting people to like you. Maybe you're here and the words of God being loved don't really mean anything to you. Because the view of love that you've gained from your life is painful and it's hurtful. Maybe you see love through misery and hurt. But here's what God's Word has to say about that. That's not love. That's a lie. And the Word of God tells us that God is love and that that love has been made manifest in the reality that His Son... Jesus has been offered as a sacrifice for all of the sin, for all of the hurt, for all the pain, all of the destruction, all of the despair that you've experienced. And the offer to you today is life through Him. Maybe you're here and you have experienced that kind of love that John is talking about. My question to you is, what are you doing with that? Are you sharing that love with others? For the man in the documentary, he had committed, he has committed everything that he has, every fiber of his being, to his Superman. Are we committed to the call that Jesus has placed upon each of us to love one another? And to show that love to those who have not yet experienced the reality of God's love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did first love us. Lord, we would not know what love is if you had not loved us. Father, I I pray that if there's anyone in this room who looks at love and all they see is hurt and misery, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them this day. You would reveal your love to them this day. That you would be true love to them. You would reveal to them that Jesus Christ has come to take care of all of that. And He's coming again to make all things right. Lord, we pray to that end. We pray that Jesus would come and make all things right. Father, we pray that you would give us boldness and confidence in your word and in your love that you have shown us. 
We pray these things through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ our King. Amen.